Well, let's get into God's Word. Are you excited about that? Turn with me in your Bible or on the Bible app, Ephesians 1, 22 through 23. Um, before we read that, you know, Pastor Jason, he's been in this series talking about how we are made alive. It kind of came out of Easter, uh, talking about what the resurrection means to us and how because Christ is alive, we are made alive. And last week he started this idea of we are made alive to be the body of Christ. And so let's look together at Ephesians 1, It says this, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body. Everyone say body. body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, the body, us. Amen? And so the book of Ephesians, it's an amazing book. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, and a lot of the focus of Ephesians is on us, the body. The book of Colossians talks a lot about Jesus being the head, and um, the head gives the command but relies on the body to get it done, right? Like you think physically, remember the illustration that Pastor Jason gave a few weeks ago, but it's just true that the head gives the command but relies on the body to get it done. But equally as true... That the body can't do anything without the head. It can't function, right? John 15, Jesus, he really, really makes the point extremely clear to remain in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. Remain, remain, remain. You read chapter chapter 15 of John and you see this. He's saying, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. When the body is detached from the head... It is not only ineffective, it's dead, right? So we're looking together at this idea of how, you know, Jesus is the head. And Pastor Jason, last week, he he used the illustration of my brother-in-law, Austin. We watched a video uh, of of him getting uh, an entire thing of oil dumped on his head. It was pretty awesome. If you weren't here, that just sounds really weird, doesn't it? Um, we watched a video of my brother-in-law, Austin, and um, he, was, he was getting a, a whole thing of oil poured over his head. And it was awesome symbolically seeing that because throughout the Bible in the Old Testament, like, that's how they would anoint people. It, it wasn't just a little dab on the forehead. Like, they took a horn of oil and turned it upside down on their head. And, and you, they experienced this, this flow of oil from the head over the body, down the hands, to the feet. They experienced a complete covering, an anointing. Amen? And so when Jesus is saying, hey, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me too, Pastor Jason last week looked at how he is the head, we are the body. And so if he's anointed, we can experience that anointing as well. And as he was giving this illustration, my mind kept going to Psalm 133. It's an amazing passage, so let's look at this together. It says this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. And so when you think about the head and the body, and there has to be alignment for that flow of oil to take place uh, and, and travel downward the way it's supposed to, if you look at much of the church at large, okay, the church at large, especially in America, there is disjointment. There is not unity. Would you agree with that? 
There's not unity in the body. But when we are living in unity, that flow of anointing becomes greater. And we just said, we just read it there. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And I love that it equates it to an anointing, oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. Now, I think it's significant that it talks about Aaron here. Aaron was the brother of Moses. He was the high priest over Israel. Aaron wore a breastplate called an ephod. And this ephod was decorated with 12 precious stones. Each stone represented one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so it's so beautiful that it's saying that this oil is upon Aaron's head. It's running down. See, when Aaron was anointed, it would not only cover his head, it would go over That ephod covering those stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. See, whenever we are properly aligned under the head, we can experience that flow of anointing as well. Amen? And so how good, how pleasing it is for brethren to live together in unity, the Bible says. So it's an awesome thing. We as the body, the church, here's the reality. We need to get over ourselves. Amen? Like, I don't know if it's because I'm a pastor. This is my ninth year being here, which is amazing. I don't know if it's because... Oh, goodness. You guys are fam. You guys are fam. You don't have to clap for me. I don't know if it's because, you know, just this line of work. I don't really know. But I I hear more than ever, honestly, that there, there are these words who may, may not be intended this way, but really what it is is... It's discord. It's, it's not unity. It's not what the Lord intends. I, I hear a lot, oh, well, you know, they do things different than we do, or we do things different than they do at their church, right? Or, man, I love our music. You know, our, I love our worship time because, you know, you know, it is all about me. So I love that style, that brand of music. And, you know, I, they, you know they have a contemporary service, a traditional service. They have a hymnal, hymnal-only service. You know, I don't... I, you following me? Or, you know, oh, man, I, I love their preaching. I love their preaching. Or I love our preaching here. Or, man, the whole reason I'm here is because that other church, that pastor up there, he said something that offended me. And so I uprooted and moved, and here I am. And I'll be here by God as long as I don't get offended. As long as a pastor doesn't say something that doesn't rub me the wrong way. Or, you following me? And, and what that is is not unity. It's the opposite. Now, as Pastor Jason says, I know that's none of you. (laughs) Right? So let me keep going then. Amen. Well, I'll tell you what, our, 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 our president is just a big dummy. Let me, let me tell you about the conservatives. Let me tell you about the liberals. Let me hide behind my computer screen and jump on Facebook because that'll make a real difference. Amen. Or, man, I'll tell you what, Coastline, I don't know. They're, it seems lately that they're just getting legalistic. Like, really, does the Bible really say that you can't do that or can't do this? That just seems like legalism, and I'm all about love. Hallelujah. And while the church at large, especially in America, is arguing and complaining and judging even quietly, the enemy has come along sowing seeds of discord, right? The enemy has come along causing dissension because even the devil himself knows that the body in perfect unity under Christ the head is an unstoppable force. Amen? The enemy is after our unity. He's after it. 
So we have to contend for the faith. We have to, we have to lift up our brothers and sisters in the faith. They, I hope you realize, man, I hope you realize, that our faith is not all about Sunday morning at coastline. <laughs> like whenever we refer to the body of Christ, the church, we are not referring to this building. We are not referring to the organization known as Coastline. We are referring to you, to me, to the people of God. Amen? We have to walk in unity. We are better together. It's an unstoppable force when properly aligned under Christ who is our head. Amen? Unstoppable. So we can talk all day about the anointing flowing from Christ the head onto us, the church's body. But until we live in unity, we are barely scratching the surface of our effectiveness. It's just true. So I'm going to set up today's message by reading the passage we started to get into last week. It's in Luke chapter 4. Starting in verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So Jesus came to his hometown where he was raised. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Amen. Pastor Jason, last week, he looked at the first half of that. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. We've talked about the anointing. I just did a quick recap and used some different examples of how we are the body under his lordship, under him, the head, to receive that anointing to preach gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And we kind of wrapped up right there last week. So I want to just continue in this thought. But Jesus, he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah, and it's referenced in Isaiah 61. And it says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Amen. So I want to echo again what Pastor Jason has said last week. This is Jesus talking. But just like the Spirit of the Lord was upon him and anointed him, he is our head. We are the body. And that runs down onto us when we are properly aligned. Amen? Because here's the thing. When you look, let's go back real quick. When you look at that passage in chapter 4 where it says in verse 18... I'll read it right here. It says in verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus had a physical earthly ministry for just around three years. So does that mean that that prophecy is only fulfilled within the three years that Jesus was ministering physically on this earth? No. Because he is charging us, the body, to carry on that ministry. Amen? And it's Jesus who is doing it through his body. Amen? And so what I want us to understand today is that when you embrace Jesus Christ, the Son, when you embrace the Son, you have access to some incredible things. 
I heard this story recently, and it just really, really helped me uh, have a great understanding of this. I want to share it with you. There's a story of this, this wealthy father and son. They were artists. They were art collectors. They had an amazing estate. They, uh, they had an art gallery. They, they just really appreciated that, and, and that was part of their life, a really big part of it. And the son would leave the estate every day and go into town, and he befriended a homeless man. And it wasn't just one of these things where it was just in passing, you know, I'm going to throw some change, say, hey, I hope everything's good. Like, he really spent quality time with this homeless man. Like, he had lunch with them, had coffee with them. They would sit. They would talk about life. They would talk about art. Like, they became genuinely good friends with one another. And one day the homeless man realized that his friend hadn't been by in a while. It had been numerous days, and that was really unlike him. It was not in character with this, this son. And so he went up to the estate and knocked on the door, and a servant answered. And uh, the servant, unfortunately, had to break the news to him that uh, the son had tragically died. And so the homeless man, who was his friend, was brokenhearted. He was, he was really, really just distraught over this. And he couldn't believe that. It was one of his only friends. He couldn't believe that he lost a friend like that. And so he went away, and he wanted to do something for the father just as a gift, uh, just to offer his condolences. And so he, he rounded up a scrap piece of paper and some crayons, and he drew a portrait with crayons. He drew a portrait of the son. His friend, he drew this portrait with crayons and he took it back to the estate, knocked on the door. The servant answered and, and the homeless man just tried to, to explain, hey, listen, you know, I, I want to give this as a gift to the father who just lost his son. His son meant a lot to me. We were good friends. He impacted my life profoundly. And so, you know, this is all I could offer, but I wanted you to, could you please give this to the father? And so the servant was like, yeah, absolutely. And so later that day, the servant found the father and said, hey, there was this homeless man. He's come twice now. And he said that your son, I guess, had a really big impact on his life. They were good friends, and he drew this crayon portrait of your son just as a gift to you. And, and so the, the father was moved and, and, uh, and, and put that away. And so many, time, uh, many years had passed, and the homeless man um, caught word. There was just this buzz around town of this estate sale and this, um, this art auction, and he, and he found a flyer and realized like that was the, the father and son, he, he learned through the flyer that the father had passed away. And so they were doing an estate sale and, and they were selling off all the art. They were auctioning the art. And so he wanted to be there just to kind of pay his final respects to that family for what they had done for him and uh, the friendship that the son had offered. So he showed up and the auctioneer, you know, pounded the gavel to get things going, get things started. And so everyone found their seat. There was just an excitement in the air. A lot of these people were collectors themselves. They wanted to be able to have their hands on some of this really rare art. And uh, the auctioneer said, you know, before we start, uh, we need to read from the will. There are, there are some conditions in place before we start this auction. The first condition is that we start by auctioning off this portrait. And he held up the crayon portrait of the son that the homeless man did. Didn't say anything else about it. He just said, we're going to start the auction with this. This was condition number one. And no one budged. No one moved. No one wanted it. In fact, you can almost sense just an awkwardness in a room of like, come on, let's get, let's get things going. Let's get to the real art. You know, I don't want some crayon scribble. Like, a, I want to put some money on some real art. And so no one moved. And so to kind of break the silence and awkwardness, the homeless man dug in his pocket and pulled out the change that he had. And so he placed a bid with all that he had. 
And then the auctioneer said, okay, you know, we have a bid. You know, does anyone else want to raise that? Does anyone else want to make an offer? No one moved. No one budged. And so the auctioneer said, you know, going once, going twice, sold to the gentleman in the back. And so the homeless man, you know, he walked down the aisle with his head and eyes low. And he got the portrait and turned to leave. And as he was leaving, the auctioneer said, condition number two in the will. That whoever buys the crayon portrait gets the entire estate and art gallery. And the homeless man, you better believe he did a dance back down that aisle. But I think it's a powerful illustration of if we embrace the sun, we get it all. Amen? Christ, who is our head, we, the body, his church, if you embrace him, honor him, you have access to it all. Amen? Wow. Today we're going to focus on the second half of Luke 4.18. Which says, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now, I really want to focus on liberty to the captives and liberty to those who are oppressed together. So is it okay with you if we go out of order real quick? Can we do that? We'll start in the middle right there where it says, recovery of sight to the blind. Now, if it's recovery, that means that... It wasn't always so, correct? And Pastor Jason and I were talking about this before he went out of town, and he made that statement. He, we were looking at it. You know, recovery means there was a former state, and then that state was lost, and there needs to be a recovery of. In other words, recovery is bringing something back to its original intent. So there's a lot here we don't have time to get into. This can be a whole sermon in and of itself, so we're just going to kind of go through a couple of things. But there's physical blindness, Right? Throughout the gospel accounts, you see Jesus healing blind people. That was one of his favorite things to do, it seems, right? He was just healing blind people. And how interesting is it that Jesus never healed a blind person the same way twice? And and now there's a lot of commentary and study and different things in that and why that is. And something that I've read and studied and what I believe is that I think Jesus was showing us that, hey, there's no formula to this thing. The only formula is complete dependence on him. Amen? Otherwise, religion would have taken hold of that and said, all right, to heal someone who is blind, step one, step two, step three, do these things and it's going to happen. And Jesus is saying, no, complete dependence on me. Amen? And so Jesus, he's healing blind people. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals somebody. It says he was blind from birth. So that's one of those things that I think we kind of just like read past and don't think about. I like reading the Bible. Amen? So when I see blind from birth, that means this person has never seen before. It wasn't just a freak accident that happened when he was seven years old. Like he had never seen before. Jesus was going to bring recovery of that sight. Well, he's never seen before. Yeah, but those eyes were made to see, right? The original intent of those eyes were to see. And then furthermore, if you think about it, blind from birth, there's so much there. It could have been just simply, you know, something in the nerves, something wrong with, you know, with the the making of the actual eyeball that was causing it not to function properly. Or maybe it wasn't even fully developed, Like, have you thought about that? Jesus very well could have and may have caused a physical eyeball to materialize in the the eye socket. That's awesome. You know what else is awesome? 
In Mark 8, 23, it says that Jesus spit in the guy's eyes to bring healing to him. In John chapter 9, it actually says he spit in the dirt, made mud, and put it in the man's eyes. Jesus, you crazy! (laughs) People are watching, Lord, you're going to do that for real? I love Jesus. Isn't he awesome? He spit in this guy's eyes. He made mud with spit and rubbed it in the man's eyes to restore his sight. Why? Well, why not? (laughs) And you got to think about it again. This, This man had never seen before. So did Jesus have to give him a heads up? Listen, I know that you're not going to see what's about to happen, but you're going to hear it, so don't be alarmed. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus is awesome! And that man had recovery of sight. Then there's spiritual blindness, like 2 Corinthians describes in chapter 3 and 4. It says that their minds were blinded. They couldn't believe or understand until the light of Christ shined forth and removed the veil. Jesus even called the Pharisees blind. Blind Pharisees. He said it a lot, right? Why? Because they needed a recovery of what the truth actually was to them and what it meant for them. It's recovery of sight to the blind, restored to its original design. Not just physical sight, but the fact that we all were created to be in fellowship with God and walk in His truth. Amen? So this is where I want us to park today. We're going to look at proclaim liberty and to set at liberty. Jesus didn't just come to announce, Hey, you're going to be free. No, He came to actually make that freedom a reality. So there's proclaiming of it, and then there's actually setting of it. And so I want us to look at that today, that it starts with the proclaiming of liberty to captives. I think it's important for us to look at the word liberty. Everyone say liberty. Liberty. Now remember, we're looking at Jesus making this statement, but also with the understanding that with him as our head and we are the body, we can be recipients of that liberty and proclaimers of that liberty as well. Did you get that? You can be recipients of that liberty and proclaimers of that liberty as well. Okay, so let's look at this New Testament passage, 2 Corinthians 3, 17. I think it will help us understand it better. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Other translations of this passage says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, right? Now freedom and liberty are synonyms, but... There are different implications. You can experience freedom from addiction. You can experience freedom from your sin and shame. You can experience freedom from your bondage. Why? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Spirit of the Lord is here. So therefore, you can experience freedom from those things. Correct? However, there's another idea, and that's the idea of liberty. Liberty is actually more of a state of being. It's having a right to something or to do something. So this verse in 2 Corinthians, if you actually don't have time to get into it, I wish we did. If you look at the original text and and what it means, it could actually read this way. Where the Holy Spirit is Lord, there is freedom from and liberty to. Where the Holy Spirit is Lord, where the Spirit of the Lord has lordship. Christ the head, lordship. There is freedom from 
Maybe something that you're dealing with or going through? Yes. But then there, where he has lordship, where he is the head, there's actually liberty to do stuff as well. Amen? So where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit is Lord, there is liberty. So you need freedom today? You can have it because he's here and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. But if you want to walk in the liberty when you leave from here and grow in an authority, amen, an authority that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim liberty to captives, you can do that too. But where the spirit has lordship, there is liberty to do that. Amen? I love that Pastor Jason joked last week about how some Christians are nervous sharing their faith, especially with people who believe differently or people of other religions. Like as if what they believe is going to jump off onto you. Like what a weak gospel that would be if that were the case. Amen? No, instead, why don't we just be so filled with the Holy Spirit that what you believe jumps out onto them? Amen? Because here's the thing. Jesus touched lepers. Think about this. Levitical law says don't touch them. He did. Was he a lawbreaker? No, he came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. He touched the untouchable. What, what am I getting at with this? Jesus didn't, you know, nervously reach his hand out. Oh, I hope I don't get leprosy. No. He was so sure of who he was and what he had that he wasn't afraid that what they had would get on him because he knew what he had would get onto them. Amen? We can walk in that authority, but we have to have him as our head and walk in that anointing that flows down. Amen? He didn't just tell them they'll have liberty. He didn't just proclaim it. He also set at liberty those who were oppressed. You are the body. And when properly aligned under his lordship, you can proclaim liberty to captives. So here's another example. James 5 verse 14. It says this. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now a lot of people love this verse and they use this verse... But they get it twisted because this verse is written to the church. This verse is written to you. If any among you are sick, call the elders. We'll anoint you with oil. We'll pray. So listen carefully. Listen. Hear this with all the love that I have. Stop telling us about all the friends and family that you need us to pray for and that you need us to meet with. Listen, do we want to meet with them? Yes. Do we want to pray for them? Absolutely. But God has put you in their life to do it. Amen? You are the body. You are anointed by God. You are called according to his will and purpose. Don't just push it off onto somebody who has a title because you have a title. You're a son. You're a daughter. Amen? You can walk in that. And then if any of you are sick, call us and we'll pray. Amen? And yes, absolutely, we will pray for your friends. We will pray for your family. We'll meet with them. We'd love that. But understand that you are in their life for a reason. And that reason is to be an imitator of Christ, a reflector of his glory, to usher in and proclaim Liberty to their captivity. Amen? You with that? 
Yeah. So this is talking to the church. But listen, another thing that I've heard a lot, especially as a youth pastor from teenagers, but you know, I've been guilty of saying it too. Oh, if I could just get my friends to church. If only, like if only they could be here. Like as if you would have home court advantage if they're here, right? Again, the church is not just a building and a service. It's you. So did you know that you can actually have home court advantage everywhere you go? Why? Because he's in you and you are him. And apart from him, you can do nothing. So remain, abide. You have home court advantage everywhere you go. Because he's with you. He is in you. And where he is, that is the advantage. Amen? Walk in that. Smile at me. Walk in that. Come on, church. Be the body. Be the body anointed by God. Let that anointing flow from Christ the head onto you and walk in that. Amen? Man, just like it said to Joshua, everywhere your foot lands is your land. You have home court advantage everywhere you go. Why? Because he's with you and he owns it all. (laughs) Amen? He's with you. He's in you. You are anointed. Be the church. Proclaim liberty to captives. Amen. Well, listen, those who are serving communion, you can be dismissed to get ready for that really quick. And and once you get the elements, come back in and just stand at the back because I want everyone to be a part of this. Let me tell you really quick about a resource as they're being dismissed and things are getting set for communion. Uh, A book that I just finished, actually, um, and it was so cool. Brooke found it. uh, My wife, Brooke, found it um, in just the, the free bin at our local library. But the reason it caught her eye is because we met the man who wrote it. Uh, his name is Arthur Blessett. And he came to our church when we lived in Los Angeles. And this guy is the most ordinary, average-looking guy you'll ever see. But this guy walks in a power and an authority like I've never seen. He loves Jesus. He loves Jesus. And check this out. He is a Guinness Book of World Record holder because he has carried a physical cross across every nation on the globe. He's he's literally on foot carried a cross across every nation. He's a world record holder. His name is Arthur Blessed. He wrote a book called Give Me a J. Give Me a J. And I encourage you, write this down. Give Me a J by Arthur Blessed. It's so good because it's so practical because it's exactly what we're talking about right now. It's him, and there's amazing testimonies of his travels and ministry and journey and things that Christ has done. But furthermore, it's just empowering us, the church, the body, to understand that we can walk in that anointing. That you can give the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the store clerk, to your neighbor, to the person you pass every day, to your brother, to your friend. You are anointed. You be the church. Amen? And so this book is amazing. Arthur Blessed, give me a J. And it's awesome. There's a whole chapter actually that outlines how you can bring the gospel to people in other religions. It even lists like the different religions say, hey, if you're talking to a person who believes this way, this is a great way to approach that. If you talk to a person who believes this way, this is a great way to approach that. And it's just very practical and empowering. And I encourage you, look that up on Amazon or something. I'm sure it's there. Amen. So we already touched on this, but we're going to look really quick at set at liberty those who are oppressed. 
We already looked at this because Jesus didn't just come to proclaim it. He came to do it. And we as the church can walk in that anointing to do the same. Now listen, hear me carefully. I think that religion has made us, the church at large, nervous when we talk about stuff like this. And maybe you're in this place and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what that guy really is talking about. Like, is this biblical? Like, I don't know, you know. I think religion has come along over the years and made the church, the body of Christ, nervous when we talk this way. Why? Is it because we're trying to be equals with God or something? No, absolutely not. But Romans chapter 8 says that we are joint heirs with Jesus. Joint heirs. That means what Jesus gets, I get. I get what Jesus gets. Joint heirs with Jesus. Romans 8, 17. And then Jesus from his own mouth said this in John 14, 12. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. Wow. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And those last two verses have been majorly twisted. Because we think that in the name of Jesus is just a nice sounding tagline at the end of a prayer. In the name of Jesus, it's not just a tagline. Just like our faith in Jesus can't just be a tagline for your life. It has to be everything. In the name of Jesus. Think about this. In the name of Jesus isn't just a closing of a prayer or closing of a request. It's a place. I can pray in the name of Jesus or I can pray in the name of Jesus remain in me I in you for apart from me you can do nothing if you remain in me and my word remains in you remain, abide I could pray in the name of Jesus so, so what does that mean exactly Well, here's an example if I pray for a friend or a stranger for that matter who has an illness in their body, and I want to pray in the name of Jesus that they would be healed. I could approach them, lay hands on them, and pray for them, and the illness in their body could react in such a way of, whoa, at first it looked like Anthony, now I see Jesus. Because I'm praying in the name of Jesus. Again, I think religion has made us nervous to talk this way, but it is our rights. We are heirs. We are children of God. We're sons and daughters. We got to get that. Because is, is God a liar? The Bible even says, God is not a man that he should lie. So then why would the Christ himself say something like this? The works that I do, he will do also? And greater? sad thing is not only are we not seeing greater works we're barely seeing any works 
I think that if we walk aligned under Christ who is our head, in unity, that flow of anointing, when Jesus stood up and read the scroll of Isaiah and said, hey, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me too. Everything that follows the two, we have access to. And we can walk in that anointing. But you have to remain. You have to abide. There has to be unity. There has to be a fervency. There has to be this idea of he is the head. This is not about me. This is not about coastline. This is about Jesus. We represent his body. And I want his body to be able to accomplish what he sent it forth to do. Why else would Jesus institute the church? He's not a fool. Jesus didn't look at the the New Testament church and say, all right, guys, take it from here. Good luck. No, he, he set things up in such a way because he knew, hey, a unified church under him is anointed and powerful. And greater things, greater things will you see and will you do. Amen? So we're about to serve communion. And so this is what I would ask. If you could just bow your heads and close your eyes. And before they serve, um, I just encourage you, man, if you're in this place, and I know this message has, has very plainly been a message to the church, the body, but maybe right now you feel in your heart and in your spirit like, wow, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And you realize that now and you want to be part of that body. You you want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know you need him as a savior. If that's you and you're in this place, would you just raise your hand real quick? Anybody in here? Awesome. Praise God. So this is what we're going to do. As they serve communion, it's a time of reflection. It's a time to just... Pray to yourself. It's not a time to move around or to talk. Just prepare your heart, posture your heart, and then I'm going to come back up and we'll take communion together.